Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome. We're going full spoilers on three films this week, but before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves. And since neither of us are attending Sundance this year, we'll answer the question, what Sundance movie are you most looking forward to once it comes off the mountain? My name is Sandra Amstutz. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And yes, sadly, I'm not able to watch any Sundance films this year, but I cannot wait to see after yang we've been talking about it for <laughs> years now um and i it's it's the movie from sundance that i am really really ready for it to be in theaters yes um i'm lucas Wright from chicago and obviously mine is also after yang <laughs> there's a couple others that i'm like excited about but going into sundance i don't think we knew if this film was actually going to to premiere or not so um it is i um it's the newest film by filmmaker Koganada, starring Colin Farrell and Jody Turner Smith. His fo- it's his follow up to Columbus, which uh, was our number one film maybe five years ago, 2016, right? It's been a while. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but I will just say that Columbus was each of our number one films the year it came out, but it has maintained like a strong place in my yeah. favorite films of all time list. Um, it is such a great rewatch too. There's a lot of yeah. like really good films that are just like powerful moving films, but don't hold up over, you know, the years. And I think we're far enough out from Columbus to say <laughs> it's holding up. Yeah, it really is. It's a special, special movie. And so, yeah, we've been really excited for whatever Coconata does next since we saw Columbus. Yeah. And um, the premise, the fact that we're finally getting it this year, it's, it's all very exciting stuff. Yep. Um, all right. So before we talk about the main films that are on our list for this week, um, every week we'll actually talk about something we've discovered or rediscovered. So Sandra, would love to hear what you're feeling this week. So I'm finally getting on board the Euphoria train. You did it. Yeah. Um, this was a show that, you know, obviously had so much buzz the first season it came out. And I never jumped in. I The vibe that I got from the Euphoria was that it was really intense, um, really stressful to watch these teens go through, like, these really tough situations. Um, and that it was over the top, like, you know, just the scariest version of teenagehood that you can imagine, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that, like, intensity really kind of scared me away. Um just in that, like, when you're looking for a new TV show to start, that is usually not my vibe, right? If it had been just a movie, I might have been, like, really intrigued. But for TV, I do tend to like things that are a little bit more comforting and a little <laughs> less stressful. Yeah. Um. So I always stayed away from Euphoria. And then it's been out, you know, that was, like, a couple of years ago because of the pandemic. And... um. Once I got, however, now that Euphoria Season 2 has just started, um, I feel like a lot of Euphoria content has been popping up on TikTok. And that is what really got me interested. Um, 
is seeing the clips from the show and starting to like get little tastes of what the vibe of the show is like, um, it made me think it made me realize I have to start watching Euphoria, especially <laughs> because I want to be part of the cultural conversation with season two. Um, so I binged season one and I've watched the first few episodes of season two that, that have aired and I'm obsessed with it. Euphoria is not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Um, de- it's definitely over the top, and there are definitely yeah. scenes that are intense. I was going to ask if it was still intense, though. Yeah, <laughs> sure. There, there are scenes that are intense, but not that stress me out or make me scared. Um, there's violence, there's nudity, there's sex, there's drugs, and of all of that, the hardest thing for me to watch is. The fact that the main character of the show is a teenage addict and the drug aspect of the show and the dangerous situations that she's put in because of her drug use, um, those are the hardest things to stomach. The rest of the show, the violence of sex, I mean, it's, I would say over the top, but not in a way that I find stressful or too tense. Um, It's a... The style of the show is so maximalist in a way that I adore that the rest of it, the subject matter, I feel like it feels very fitting. Um, The amount of nudity in the show, like some people might think it's over the top. To me, it fits so perfectly with the vibe of the show and it doesn't feel out of place. So I'm really digging it. I will say, like I I mentioned earlier, a lot of the drug stuff... um, is kind of stressful, and sometimes I've had to fast forward a few <laughs> through a couple of drug scenes. I would, um, but the rest, the what makes Euphoria so good is that even though Zendaya playing plays this character named Rue, who is the main character, the narrator, this sort of omnipotent narrator of the show, um, even though the show is based on her character. The ensemble that this show has is just so cool and exciting. These young actors, I'm so enchanted by them. The way that they are like going full throttle in this show and the way that this show bounces around storylines and gives characters backstory feels really unique um, compared to anything else happening on television right now, at least in the way that Euphoria is doing it. Um, have you watched any of Euphoria, Lucas? I would imagine Zero. Not. Yeah. Yes, none of it. <laughs> and I, you know, I wouldn't recommend it for you. I yeah. ultimately don't think you would get into it the way that I probably am. Mm-hmm. Um, I The problem is, is that I do think there's a lot of it that you would think is cool, but the general setting of the story, the general like setting and, and storylines are so not up your alley. So yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. Um but there is so much to like about it. Like I said, the performances are amazing. This show is like not afraid to take a risk and give you just like sumptuous visuals, which you don't get to see in these like shows about teenagers that often, right? Like, yeah. Um, it's really nice to see a show about teenagers that takes itself seriously and also feels like it's actually about teenagers. And not about, even though, like, some, I think the joke, right, is that, like, these euphoria teens are so advanced, right? And, like, no real teenagers act and act this way. Um, 
I don't think it's as out of touch as the joke often makes it to be. And I think that's frightening for a lot of people. <laughs> um, but I really, really dig it. I just am so, I can't get enough. And I find myself, um, you know, the, the first two episodes had come out by the time I started binging season one. And I found myself like, like waiting to watch the season two episodes, like savoring them. Um, because I'm, I'm not ready to be, to be caught up yet. So I'm so into euphoria. I'm a couple years late, but I'm here now. That's exciting. Um, so you are caught up now. There, there was a the couple episodes of season two last night that I haven't okay. watched yet. Again, I kind of like, even though there's a brand new episode out, I just don't yeah. want to, I want to say, wait, save it <laughs> for myself, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I, I do love shows that you can savor. So yeah. that, well, that definitely bodes well. The last thing I will say about euphoria that is so impressive is that there are some truly monstrous characters on this show, or I should, you know, I should actually say there are some characters that do some monstrous things, but the show is really good about having empathy for its characters and for, um, not having easy answers for anything. And so even the characters that do the most monstrous things that you're like, you are bad fucking news. Um, I'm still invested in them. And that's, I think, a feat. I love that. That's great. It is not a show that I will be watching, but I I, I am excited <laughs> that it's good because because <laughs> I love that there are good shows out there. What I, what I would love to do, Lucas, is to make like a highlight reel for you of like, here's some <laughs> like the interesting scenes. Like you don't need to watch the whole show, yeah. but here's a few of the interesting scenes that you're going to want to like be yeah. aware of. That's awesome. I I'll would watch that, that for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so that's Euphoria. It's available on HBO Max. And I am also feeling an HBO Max show, Station Eleven, um, which just finished up its 10-episode run. This is a miniseries based on the book, also called Station Eleven. Um, and it's a um, post-apocalyptic saga. It spans, I think, multiple timelines pre and post um, a you know, a flu that uh, got out of hand and has uh, devastated the world and about the attempts to kind of rebuild and uh, live in this kind of uh, post-pandemic world. It sounds <laughs> traumatizing uh, as we're living through a pandemic currently. Um, and I was worried about that a little bit at first, but it is so hopeful and grounded in ways that most apocalyptic apocalyptic most apocalyptic um media is not um most apocalyptic media is about uh just how quickly the world falls apart and how you know power and um just the kind of feral nature of humans <laughs> ends up um you know reigning overall and i think what this show does is it takes it takes a look at, at a bunch of different people kind of in this world and it shows their faults. It shows their flaws, but it also shows their just desire for connection and for love. And that is kind of the, the heartbeat of the show is the continued connection of, of people helping each other and saving each other and um, continuing to kind of push life forward. And what is the meaning of life and what, especially in a world that has completely fallen apart. And there's so much hope in the show that it's for me, it's just a truly beautiful, thing to watch um it stars mackenzie davis um who is a very 
great actress, but also a very physical actress. And I think she does an amazing job in this show, along with Hamish Patel, um, of just embodying normal people <laughs> um, living, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a pandemic like this. I feel like a lot of times it immediately turns into um, survival of the fittest, um, you know, wars, people are wearing, you know, leather and boots all the time. Right. And this is just a world where people are wearing the clothes that they find. So, um, for some of it, she's wearing just like us, you know, a, a full piece bathing suit and shorts and a t-shirt and just walking around just being like, this is what I have. This is, these are the clothes that fit me. Um, and, uh, in her previous timeline, you know, post pre pre pandemic, she's played by a, a child actress, Matilda Lawler, who is truly fantastic. I I don't love a lot of performances by child actors, and I think she they spend a lot of time with her and um her relationship with Hamish Patel's character, and it's really really beautiful, beautifully acted, beautifully done. Um, it is set in and around Chicago and the Great Lakes area. Um, and so for me, watching a pandemic fall apart <laughs> here in Chicago was, that was the part that was a little traumatizing for me. It was a little hard to watch, but, um, as it jumps back and forth in time, you know, 20 years post pandemic, um, it's just so beautiful to see, um, the relationships that people form and just how life grows back afterwards. Um, I will call out also Dan Danielle Deadweiler, who, um, is an actress who was also in one of my favorite movies of last year, The Harder They Fall. She's in this. She also gives an amazing performance. I do feel like the Emmys are going to love this show. <laughs> I feel like everyone's getting nominated. I feel like this is the show to beat. But um, if you've read the book, this follows a lot of the things of the book, but also changes it up in ways that make it, uh, I think, better for TV, but also just a, a kinder story um, leaning into a lot of the... Um, the love that you don't usually see in, in, in shows like this. And especially in the time period that we're actually living through, I think that's the the best way to interpret something like this. I, I've got to get on the Station Eleven train. I, the, I can't do to Station Eleven what I did to Euphoria and, like, put it off. I agree. Because I'm <laughs> nervous about how what emotions it's going to make me feel. Yeah. Um, I know that this is the next show I need to watch. I've heard nothing but amazing things. Yeah. And like, I just loved everything you had to say about it. Yeah. Um, it's going to make you feel a lot. It is, it is emotionally manipulative in, I think very, uh, pointed, but also, uh, very, I can't think of the word, but like in ways that like need to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, especially in the time period that we're in, like the emotions that it's stirring up, um, are, are, are welcome for sure. So. Um, well, I can't wait to get it started. I just yeah. – everyone – people that I trust have said it's, like, one of the best shows of the year. And it's, it is. I feel like it just kind of snuck in here, you know? that It really did. I didn't see it coming. I <laughs> didn't know it was happening until it was here. But I would definitely say, for me, it's the best miniseries since um, Sharp Objects, which another HBO classic that yeah. is truly fantastic. So I absolutely loved it. Okay. How great. So, Station Eleven and Euphoria, two very different shows that are on HBO Max. All right. 
As I said before, we've got three films that we are wanting to talk about a little more in depth than we have in the past. We had our top 10 10 movies of 2021, um, and we wanted to go a little bit in depth about three of those movies. So Power of the Dog uh, ended up on our honorable mentions. Um, Spencer was your number one movie, and The Worst Person in the World landed at number nine for me and number five for you. So we're going to talk in depth you know, so all no holds barred on all three of these um, films. If you haven't seen them, Power of the Dog is available on Netflix. Spencer is available for rent, and the worst person in the world is available at Sundance and currently should be in at theaters the in February. There you go, theaters in February. Perfect. So. So if you want to skip to any one of those sections, feel free to do it in the uh, time code links below. Um, let's start with Power of the Dog. A man was made by patience and the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? Peter! If I did not save her. that I wanted us to talk about the most, I will say, um, because we, we both talked about how much we liked it during the top 10 episode, but it's the kind of movie that you really want to talk about the spoilers of it. And our top 10 episode is not for spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about um, Power of the Dog. For those who don't know, this stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, um, Jesse Plements, and Cody Schmidt-McPhee. Um, it is about... Uh, a ranch. <laughs> this is this is not going well. What is it about? <laughs> um, it's like it's a western, and it's about sort of a family unit, but a misshapen one. Um, That's a great led, way of putting it. Yes, <laughs> led by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is this very antagonistic head of a family. I went into this, you know, we, we in our top ten episode, we kind of talked about our our feelings about this movie. But mm-hmm. um, I will just say, for anyone who didn't listen to that, I went into this movie very hesitant because I hate westerns. Um, but I had heard great things and was really wasn't prepared for how much I would love Power of the Dog. Um, I loved how sinister the benedict Cumberbatch character got to come across um and i love how much tension this movie upheld without like that being the whole point of the movie um and it also just it kept surprising me um i did you lucas going into this movie know that there would be these queer undertones i did not no, I all I knew was what I got from the trailer, which it's a western, and this is who stars in it. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, so that that was a full surprise for me, and I'm I'm curious. I think different people have come at it from different perspectives on like when they knew certain things about the ending, so it was certain things about um, the different characters' sexuality and stuff like that. And I would be curious to know, like beat for beat, <laughs> when you discovered things, because I think it is a little bit different from every, for everybody. And I also think it, it hugely makes an impact on like how you view the movie. So um, I hear it's one that a lot of people are interested in rewatching um, once they've gotten to the end. So I, I figured it out once Cody Schmidt McPhee discovered him bathing, which is the obvious win they kind of announced that sure did he did Cody in the movie i'm trying to remember did he did he find those magazines and then find him bathing yes yeah, yeah. so it's like the magazines really it's got yeah yeah it's that like was the, the moment yeah mm-hmm. um so 
I knew going into the movie that this would be like a theme. Um, okay. And I, but I only knew it about Benedict Cumberbatch's character going in. Okay. I didn't know who else or anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then once you start the movie, you understand that like the Cody Smith McPhee character is also somewhat queer coded as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, and so when the movie started, I was on high alert for it, right? Like I'm, like where how's it gonna play out like when's it coming you know to the point where there's a scene where early on where benedict cumberbatch's character and jesse plemons character get in bed together and i thought oh they're not really brothers this is the movie you know (laughs) (laughs) and then that was not the case (laughs) like they're fake brothers but they (laughs) because they like live together on this house all alone you know and like (laughs) <laughs> like that's the whole plot of the movie he's gonna get a wife and it's gonna be jealous and you yeah know? and it yeah. was that part that i was half right that he did get a wife and he was jealous but yeah um so then as we start seeing like with the cody smith mcphee character how benedict cumberbatch's character is kind of like lashing out against him because he sees this similarity mm-hmm. and then later kind of changes course and and befriends him and tries to connect over that. I I loved it. I loved all of that. I loved how you got to see how like vicious the Benedict Cumberbatch character could be and how scary he could be with Chris, with Kirsten Dunst. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you also got to see like what he looks like when he's being charming and, and, and interesting and helpful and, uh, a leader and a friend yeah which i think is such a good performance by benedict cumberbatch um i think also like he talks about bronco henry all the time and i think you get to see it's one of those things where you get to see his mind shift of he's like oh i'm now bronco henry i'm the person that people can learn from and turn to and yeah. um and that kind of shift is really beautiful to see even though you know how mean and ugly he has been this entire movie it's still like a growth that you're like kind of leaning into which is great so yeah well and just like the loneliness of that Mm -hmm. cyclical nature right like that yeah that he you know i I don't know if you assumed this i assumed that bronco henry was also gay right yeah yeah and that like these people find each other and it's like it's this lonely existence until you find one other person who you see that in and you kind of secretly nurture that relationship as best yeah. you can, you know? Yeah. I, the scene where they start, where it, it becomes the most explicit, I would say. Um, I think Cody Smith McPhee, does he like brush his hand against Benedict Cumberbatch's face or something like that? I do Some, not remember that. I'm someone, remembering the smoking scene, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're smoking and they, there's something there's, where they kind there's a touch. You know they're sharing I mean? cigarettes. They're sharing a cigarette and Cody Smith McPhee is holding it for Benedict yeah, Cumberbatch. That's so. probably what I'm, that's what I'm probably yeah. referring to. Yeah. Um, where that becomes like the most charged scene in the mm-hmm. movie, right? Where you're like, this is um, as explicit as it's going to get. I I was thrilled with that scene. I If every movie could have a scene that, that, that is that sexually charged, I would be in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I, think what, I think what's interesting about that scene as well is because that, at that point, 
and I, well, I would love to know if you thought this at that point is when you know that he is killing him <laughs> also right. because he's poisoning him with the, um, with the rawhide and the anthrax. So at the, so, so that is happening because he's braiding the, his, the rope at the same time as he's sharing the cigarette with yeah. him. Yeah. And I also just love a male Western version of a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Like I love this Cody Smith McPhee performance as someone who like seduces someone with the intent to kill them. Yep. And the intention that goes behind that, the seduction, the it didn't read in this movie as anything actually that sinister, even though ultimately we know that like killing someone on purpose is sinister. In the context of this movie, I just loved that it's set up from the beginning, like I would do anything for my mother. And that this character was truly like destroying his mother, like killing her mm-hmm. and him just like doing what has to be done. Yep. Um, And that's like tragic also, but very, very interesting to watch. It is. I'm curious at what point did you know that he was that he was p- planning or acting out um, the killing of <laughs> For me. The moment he starts dealing with that dead cow on his own, I'm already, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, he's up to something because like he knows to wear gloves. So he knows that there's like, he's not just a fool, right? Yeah. Like yeah. messing with a cow. He shouldn't be messing with. He's mm-hmm. putting on gloves. He knows what he's doing. Um, I don't know that I at that moment explicitly knew like he's going to kill Benedict Cumberbatch, um, but the moment that it becomes very explicit is when they when Benedict Cumberbatch's hands go into that same water bath where the cow yeah. skin is, and the, you see the blood and from the cut. And yeah. that's just makes it incredibly clear. Yeah, I have heard from a lot of people that they didn't know what had happened until Cody Schmidt McPhee puts the rope under his bed. Like basically the last shot of the movie. That's when yeah. they realized it all came together. And it, for me, that it was surprising because I, I felt like it, it played it pretty straight. So you got to see kind of totally. what was happening as it, as it happened. But I am curious how many people kind of missed that and then are going back on a rewatch to, to, to kind of catch it all. But yeah, certain uh, one moment from that ending that just was so heartbreakingly tragic and beautiful was when Benedict Cumberbatch is like being taken to the doctor and he's like mm-hmm. moments away from death and he's so focused on getting that rope to yeah. Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah. Um, Truly it's I don't have a lot more to say about it. I think it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> yeah. Um and I I it's it it's hard to recommend because I do think like going into it, it's hard to you you can't know what you're getting into um without I think kind of over spoiling it spoiling it for people um but i feel like people who would like you said you're the perfect example of this people who would not normally like this type of movie are gonna like this type of movie yeah <laughs> so absolutely um but. i'm so glad that you convinced me to watch it i'll good. i'll say that one more time good got you to like a western one yeah. down a couple thousand to go <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about a movie that i really loved and i feel like i had to Make sure that you watched yes. <laughs> in reverse. I definitely watched this for you. Let's talk about Spencer. <laughs> Boys, I want to take you home. 
I'm not moving from this spot until they come to me. You'll just have to shoot me. Your Royal Highness, do you want me to intervene? My sons here? are going to join their mother. Um, how are you feeling about Spencer? Um, it's still hard. I I still like I think one of the one of the things that's hard for me with this movie is that it is a little more fairy tale than I expected or wanted it to be. So the fact, mm. so like most of my qualms with this movie aren't about the movie itself. It's just that it's not the type of movie for me, which I think is more in line with kind of how you feel about most Westerns. So, right. um, and I think for, for me, this movie, um, you have this aspect of she is someone who has been part of this family for like a decade at this point, like none of this is new for her. And I think what I was really missing is that, um, I am on display. I am falling apart dichotomy of like, I, people are watching me. I am putting myself together because again, that's who she was. She was very together. She knew when the cameras were on her, she knew when people were watching. And I think that to, to, to me, what felt weird is that she could do that publicly, but then she was also, she was acting like she was alone even when she was with the family. And I feel like that felt the opposite of what this movie was trying to do is that she was only alone when she truly was alone and could fall apart and break down. And I think for me, that was just a hard to wrap my head around that she would be this open and vulnerable with these people who <laughs> are not welcoming to her, are not helpful to her. Um, and, a lot of it is just that we're interior, so we're seeing her fall apart while she's around all these people, and she probably isn't as obviously falling apart, but um, she still is to an extent, and I think that was just hard for me to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I generally like movies that are just, like, one long movie of someone falling apart. Like, yeah. that is not my vibe, usually. Mm-hmm. There's something, I think, about the contrast in this one of the constant, like, anxiety and falling apart of this character in the midst of this glamour, right? Mm -hmm. And in the midst of – and I guess also, like, I'm bringing – we're all bringing our knowledge of Diana and our affection for her as a public figure to this movie, right? So. When you normally watch a maybe a fictional movie about someone losing their mind and falling apart, um, you don't have you have to you have to grow that warmth for that character within the movie itself as well. And with this one, we're bringing that warmth and affection for the character in with us. Um, mm-hmm. So the movie gets to like gets a head start. Um, I there's so many c- scenes in this movie that like are just so burned into my brain. I've watched it so many times. And um, I think for certain people, they might be like obvious or, you know, kind of cliche, like her, uh, the scene that all the scenes with the necklace, you know, her pulling the necklace off is, I feel like a very cliche action in these kind of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, it stuck with me and her, chewing on those pearls um i think i love that this movie would have moments like when she chews on the pearls right and that feels like creepy and you know scary and gross but then 
it doesn't last on that for long. It doesn't like make you sit with that for too long. It knows when to move on. Um, and so as someone who doesn't like horror, but loved this movie, that is what I, that's one of the things I really appreciated about it. Yeah. I think for me, the the thing that stuck out the most and that I really enjoyed about it is that her relationships, she doesn't have a lot of conversations or relationships with the, the main people or with the family, with the people that you would expect her to have these relationships with the conversations that she has the most in this movie are with like Sean Harris as the, you know, the the yeah the cook and then timothy spall as like the master of the house kind of like situation like that which is more an antagonistic relationship but like those are the big conversations of this movie um which i just think is a great way of attacking her and attacking this <laughs> this topic um I, I think it i honestly think it's like it's beautifully written beautifully directed the music is fantastic i don't have a lot of qualms with the craft of making this movie i think it's all fantastic except i didn't like it (laughs) yeah sure um you mentioning the timothy spall character um, yeah i really loved what they did with that character and her Mm -hmm. relationship with him i like that the antagonist of this movie or like one of the antagonistic figures i should say um wasn't a family member that even though like the family is like causing her so much grief and, and, sh- and pain that it was represented by this figurehead of the crown, you know, mm-hmm. and not the person who wears the crown, but more just like all the people that are maintaining these rules and this structure. Um, and yeah. I, I liked her conversations with him so much. Um, I also really, really loved the final like that big sequence where she's in the house alone and then there's this sequence that like goes through all of her kind of royal life you know and and some Mm -hmm. of her child life um that was a lot of that was in the trailer and if that had been the whole movie it would have been perfect for me and that's what i said (laughs) when the trailer came out yeah and that I think a lot of the movie is very good and that sequence is what makes me like truly fall in love with this movie. Um, and that that's what like break causes her breakthrough. Yeah. 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 Um, the final thing I just want to talk about for Spencer is the ending. Um, I just love that. I I mentioned this during our top 10 episode that in this show, this movie that we know in real life has this tragic ending that this movie was able to find a hopeful ending where she was able to find a moment of freedom, um, a moment with her boys. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I felt very moved by that. Dri- a drive through KFC um, with, I forget what song with like a very happy, like fun song playing is yeah. not how I expected this movie to end. Right. And I do think it's like a very unique creative ending for something like this. It was yeah. really, it made me smile for sure. Yeah. And it just like the knowledge that, even though ultimately her life was ended too soon, mm-hmm. that at some point she was able to break free from this, you know, monstrosity that was had a hold of her. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive. It really is. Definitely. Um, are you ready to talk about the worst person in the world? I definitely am. Okay. Hey. All right. Um, This movie ended up on both of our lists. We both really loved it. 
Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this movie is that it takes, and I think I talked about this a little bit in our um, end of year episode, but it takes this story of this woman and could very easily have been very um, kind of dismissive and uh, almost making fun of her in a loving way. It could still be about her and could still take this story in that direction. But I think one of the things it does is it makes her um, kind of flounderings and figuring out her life very um, real and respected. And I think that is something that I thought was done beautifully well in this movie. And I think no more so than kind of how it how it ends it. And I think I've... I want to watch this movie again just to kind of see how I feel about the ending again through, but the way it kind of lets her move on and, and continue to discover life. Cause I don't think that's, that's something that people figure out or, you know, fully come to grips with, you know, in your twenties, I feel like it's a constant, um, growth opportunity for people to figure out kind of where they are in their life and what they want. Um, and I think it does that beautifully. So I want to skip straight ahead to the ending. Um, Let's do it. So you you really liked the ending, it sounds like. I did, yeah. And by the ending, I mean those final shots where we see that she is presumably single and she has a career that she's passionate about. Yeah. And that her one of her exes is gone and the other one is with someone and has a child. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about that ending. Okay. I, Interesting. Watching the movie, I was so invested. And during that final sequence scene, um, I remember feeling really conflicted. Like, I, I don't know if this movie ended the way I wanted it to, but not in a way that I hate the movie or I think mm-hmm. it's a bad ending. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Just in the way that makes me think, which is honestly, of course, like, probably a plus for this movie. That it's intriguing enough that it makes me really think about the ending like, right. heavily yeah what what were you expecting or what were you wanting out of this ending i, I don't know that i was expecting anything okay um but uh, there's something about woman who is a little lost throws herself into relationships and then the movie ends with her finding peace being alone and having a career that feels a little um what's the right word maybe hollow to me um, okay i guess i just don't love that implication but i don't know if that i don't even know if i believe that you know what i mean like yeah. this is my yeah. instinct but i don't know if i agree with my own instinct um yeah. <laughs> my instinct is that i do, i don't love that the i the story of you know oh she found purpose in her work because that seems to be right. like she couldn't she didn't find purpose in a relationship so she found purpose <laughs> in her work i don't love that implication i don't think no. um, i don't i didn't read it that way i yeah. read it more as she does love her work but she has become comfortable with this, this journey that she's on yeah whereas and all of the other ones she was seeking something new, something exciting and trying to find, um, and yet also worried about what she was leaving behind in, in, at each point. Yeah. And I think I read the ending as she's comfortable with who she is and where she's at. And she understands, like, as she's looking out the window, she understands that that person wasn't right for her and that path wasn't the correct path for her, but not that like, this is it. This is final. This is where I'm at now. Yeah. 
I think so much of those scenes were, you know, her doing her job and then the very last shot is her on her computer doing her job. Mm-hmm. So that's what just gave it so much weight to yeah. me. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't I didn't need her to like end up with one of the two guys or, uh-huh. you know, or even necessarily end up in a relationship even though but I also wouldn't have minded that you know um yeah I was just I I left I remember the movie ended and I thought huh I loved every minute of that and now I feel conflicted yeah Um, I do think there's a usual dichotomy of like relationships or work in in movies and it's like you will have to choose between one of them (laughs) right and so i do think that's it's it's very easy to come to that conclusion from the way that this movie handles it for sure yeah um i also i'm not this isn't even a critique but the pain of being with a man who says he never wants kids and then seeing him have kids with someone Mm -hmm. else yeah is something that is so brutal and to see that depicted, you know, yeah, you're just kind of like, oh, not again, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think that the, it's an interesting shot because I think it's interesting to she doesn't have a like visible, obvious reaction. I think it's like it's it's super easy to like layer in whatever you're feeling on top of that. And absolutely. I definitely I absolutely felt that like as soon as you see that shot, it's like a gut punch. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just went back and like watched the ending um, a second time just to just to like quickly like look at that again. And she doesn't react. She doesn't. Um, I mean, other than like the smile that she kind of has anyway. And I think it's, I, I'm curious, like what other people bring to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think, I think that's a, a like for me, it's such a unique, interesting way of ending the movie um, without kind of having her speak on it or having her kind of come to a conclusion on it. Um, I, I thought it was kind of beautiful. Yeah. Um. I think what really made me love this movie was the ending that she had with her, her first partner who was dying mm-hmm. and yeah. just like, what is that relation? That's, that's not a relationship dynamic we see often, right? Yeah. People who were once in love and are no longer together. And one of them is now dying and there's this closeness. um, But without the, devastation of my partner that i'm with is dying you know yeah um and yet there is of course still devastation (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so i really loved seeing that depicted um that was really special to me yeah i think i think that's special about this movie i agree i think that relationship is kind of the core of the movie even though like she has that second relationship, I think, coming back to that one. And you can also tell, like, that's the character that the writer-director, I think, is is most connected to as well. It's someone of his age who yeah. <laughs> he gives that kind of monologue of what it's like to be someone of his age. Yeah. Um, um, but I do think it does it in a in just such an interesting and loving way um, towards this kind of fear of death, but also this kind of um, feel like you're missing out on on what you could have had. And I, I just really thought that was beautiful. Um, how do you feel about this movie's take on, like, feminism cancel culture? Interesting. What do you feel like this movie's take is on it? I mean, 
I don't know that it has a strong one. Which, okay. Yeah. Um, I both appreciate, but also kind of roll my eyes at. Like, if you're gonna tackle it, I think you should have a point of view. You know, instead of just kind of having these little tidbits. Um, I guess ultimately, I really bristled against the scene with him at the radio station. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I I I like the idea of. A woman being with a with a man that she loves, but that she acknowledges is is sometimes misogynistic, mm-hmm. because that feels very real, you know. Yeah, and like a, a reality that a lot of women in the world face. Um, I liked like when it was peppered in in that way, but the scene of him at the radio station felt a little bit too much to me. Like we've grown to like this character so much, and the women that were calling him out for his, like, you know, the things that in his comic book mm-hmm. um, seemed a little bit uh, like parodies of feminists who call people out. I agree with that. Yeah. I had honestly forgotten about that scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't love it, but I think it also like overall, like you said, like the film has such a light uh, take on it (laughs) that it it doesn't bother me too much. I also just think like that is, that is the kind of thing that would happen to a character like that. I just think it could have been depicted in, in probably a better way. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't a main part of the movie, so it's not something I have a major issue with. I just remember in that one scene being like, this feels a little, um, cliche. Yeah. 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 Um, and it stands out because so much of the movie is not cliche, right? Mm-hmm. So much of the movie is so special and feels so authentic and like vibrant. Um, so that the small moments where it doesn't really pop to, out to me. Yeah. No, I definitely feel that. Um, can we talk about what I think is the best or yeah, I would say it's the best sequence in the whole movie. Okay. Yeah. Is the sequence where she meets the second guy at the party and they decide what is not cheating. Yeah. Did you feel like that was a great sequence as well? I did think it was a great sequence. I think it is. I do love the sequence of her running through the street, which is like, that's like uh, the, the yeah. flashy sequence. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. <laughs> um, but I do. Yeah. I do think that's a great sequence and you can tell exactly where it's going and you can tell um, just the chemistry that they have. And I think it's a great start to, um, it just tells you so much about his character Um, because I do think introducing a second partner that late in the movie is difficult to like build the relationship and make you, you know, feel something for it, especially the way it happens. And I think just setting it at that party and, or I guess the wedding and having, having kind of that play out in a very, very fun and energetic way Mm -hmm. was awesome to see. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about this movie to me is that in any kind of, let's say, let's call it a rom-com, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of rom-com where the main female character has two guys that she has to choose between. Um, there's usually, even if when the movie tries to be fair to both of them, there's usually such a clear, like, well, you gotta pick this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. how are you not gonna pick this guy, right? Even if the uh, even if the second guy isn't villainous or a douchebag or anything, even mm-hmm. if he's just, you know, I think of um, Sweet Home Alabama is like a, <laughs> one that I think of where yeah. it's like she has two 
like she has two guys and one of them is like so great for her even though he's not the right guy for her you know Mm -hmm. um anyway all that to say this movie is one of the only times where i fully am not i'm fully like on board with both guys and her chemistry with both of them and I'm wistful for both relationships and like, and feel pained when both of them don't work. I think I assumed that both of them would not work out at the beginning of both of the relationships, just because of how they're set up. Um, And so I don't think I ever got attached to the relationships themselves. I think I, I think I loved them for what they were while we were watching them, but I, I don't think at any point I was ever rooting for her sure. to stay in any of the relationships. I, I mostly mean like both of these characters are e- they're equally charming, sexy, yeah, like interesting. Mm-hmm. There's not a clear like, well, you definitely should pick this one over yeah. the other one. Yeah. Um which I also thought was cool. I, just to go back to what you mentioned about the sequence where she runs through the city and everything mm-hmm. is frozen. Um, you know, we've talked about this before about how I like to go read a Wikipedia summary mm-hmm. after seeing a movie to see, like, just to remind myself of all the plot points and, you know, see it, everything laid out kind of simply. And I don't know if it was Wikipedia or somewhere else that the summary I read for this was different than what I assumed what I interpreted was happening in that sequence. Oh, interesting. What did you think was happening there? The way that I saw it was like, this is the feeling of kind of quote unquote falling in love is nothing else matters. Everything else stops your current life, you know, just kind of pauses um, while you're kind of going through this. And I think that the way that I then interpreted that as, you know, over time she was seeing him, um, while still in the relationship with the first guy. Okay. So here's what the Wikipedia says. It says, Julie, feeling disillusioned, disillusioned, decides to go on a date with Ivan. Is that his name? Um, mm-hmm. And they fall in love. When she returns home the following morning, she breaks up with Axel, but they have sex one last time. So I think in my interpretation, it wasn't so cut and dry. I didn't interpret it as... She went on a date with this guy and then broke up with her boyfriend the next day. Um, did you think it was that? I, I thought it was over time. I thought it was like very just like she she went on multiple dates with him. It's yeah. kind of what I what I interpreted it as is like she's been seeing this other guy before I, she breaks up with him. In ter- and maybe this is incorrect, but I interpreted it as she wakes up, she is with her boyfriend, they're making coffee, she everything pauses, right? Mm-hmm. And then she breaks away from her life. She runs to this guy. And to me, that was almost like a dream sequence. Like, yeah. in that moment where she's having coffee, she is mentally imagining what her life would be like if she chooses this other guy instead. Yeah. And then she's escaping mentally and then comes back and then ends it. And I didn't take it quite so literal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was beautiful either way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's like a bad interpretation yeah. of it. I think it's like I think it's a great way of visualizing mentally what you're <laughs> what you're doing in that instance. So, um, how did you feel about the chapters aspect of this movie? I liked the chapters. I thought they were kind of um, playful in a way that 
was was fine i don't think I, I i had too much like to think about them but i i liked the intro of each section of her life as <laughs> as these chapters well and this movie seems to span a lot of time yeah. and i think it's the perfect way of like telling years and years of a person's life in small pieces mm-hmm. yeah um my favorite chapter that really like warmed my heart and made me fall in love with the first guy um, <laughs> was the chapter where she turns 30 and they go to visit her father. Yeah. And to see a partner like defend his love to her own parent and not defend his love for her, but, like but defend his beloved, you know, mm-hmm. to her own parent, stand up for her and be vocal about like, this is not okay the way that your father treats you and you have to make your own family because you're not going to get what you need from him. Um, Mm -hmm. I was so, I found that so beautiful. I also loved that like she was not ready to have that conversation, but he was so ready to have it for her, (laughs) you know? And also like that wasn't the time, like she didn't want that. Um, But it was like, it was a loving move and it was the right move, yeah. <laughs> but she wasn't in a place for it yet, which I well, thought was really great. And it was also so artful, right? Because mm-hmm. he's clearly calling her father out, but in the most polite way, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is what makes it so special to me is that it's, again, a more on the nose version of this movie would be much more like vocal and snide in that scene. Right. Right. It would and, be a big moment. Right. And the dad would be, they, they would get in an argument, mm-hmm. you know, they would, there would be a, you don't, you know, how dare you? Yeah. Um, and th- this movie handles it exactly how I would imagine and want it to happen in my life. If something like that were to happen, you know, where there's tension with two people that you care about and, you don't want a big argument to be started. Yeah. And the the most that he can do in that moment is just ask questions that, you know, that point out the things that we're all not saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that. I loved that scene and it made me, yeah, love that character, Axel. I really do think it's a great movie. I think it's, um, it is a, I think, unique movie that has a lot of flaws, um, but I would recommend everybody watch it. <laughs> what are some of the flaws you think it has? I think just like the a lot of the pieces that we've talked about, like aren't as um, locked in and I think emotionally connected as they as they could be, um, and that like everybody's not on the same page as I think for a lot, all the interpretations of of what the, what they meant. And I do think that's fine. I think that's great. Um, I do think that there is. Probably probably an intention to the filmmaker and what he wanted that ending to really like hammer home. And the fact that we don't have a full (laughs) interpretation of what that is, um, means in my mind, it's a little shaggy. Mm. Um, but I, I do think it's a great movie. Yeah. I need to revisit it for sure. Um, yeah. And it'll be an interesting one that as more people see it to to hear more people's thoughts about it. That's what I'm most excited about. Yep. Same. Okay. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. That's three movies for you guys to check out. Um, actually, if you're this far in it, you've already, <laughs> you've heard Let's all the spoiler talks. So you've probably already seen it. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so that's th- three movies that we talked about as part of our um, a top ten episode of 2021 um, that we just wanted to go in, in a little bit deeper on. So Power of the Dog, Spencer, and The Worst Person in the World. As we wrap up, Sandra, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Move it along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 